Chapter 16 Grow a Pair Jack stayed put in his bed for the next several hours, pissed off at Gomes and sickened by Magnus. As he marinated in thought, an idea formed. He could at least kill the rest of the infected plants before Gomes had a chance to begin working with them again. Wasn't much of a plan, but at least a fuck you of sorts that would push his timeline back until Jack could get the fuck out of there and Serena sounded an alarm. He quickly focused on how to best accomplish that and remembered that each plant had an individual irrigation pipe. Peroxide or bleach would certainly kill off any residual virus as well as kill the plants. At least he'd have done something till Serena could notify the authorities. He could feel his nerves begin to kick in, but push them down, feeling the pinpricks return to his face, but he committed to pushing through it. Time to be a man of action, he thought. The hard part would be sneaking out. He had no doubt he was under surveillance in his room now. Cameras and microphones for sure, but he also suspected the door had a sensor as well. Hopefully, it wouldn't be sophisticated. The challenge was confirming it without anyone seeing him on the camera. He had an answer to that within a few seconds and quickly set his plan in motion. There was no other choice than to work on the assumption that the cameras were standard video feeds. He moved from the bed and arranged his suitcase and lab equipment near the bathroom entrance. He took his clothes off as if to get ready for bed, taking in everything around him as well as an inventory of the clothing in his garment bag. He silently gave himself a high five for bringing a dark running suit and tennis shoes. He turned off the light in the room and quietly made his way to his spectrometer case. He recounted how he had described it to Gomes in the lab, a box with various light sources and some software. If he was right and the video feeds were of the garden variety, he was sure he could use the infrared light source on his homemade spectrometer to find the door sensor. If that was the case, the near-infrared light wouldn't register on the camera feeds. Jack gently lifted his running attire in the spectrometer case, silently moving into the bathroom, closing the door behind him. He quickly dressed in the dark and opened the equipment case. Without turning the bathroom light on, he negotiated the spectrometer out of the case by feel, quickly lifting the bottom layer of foam out of the case, exposing a small set of tools needed to calibrate the device on the fly. He searched the database in his head, quickly recalling the order and types of tools he had, as well as bringing up a detailed diagram of the device's construction plans. He sat on the toilet seat, in the dark, deconstructing one of his finest inventions. Within 30 minutes, he felt sure he had decoupled the infrared lamp and its holder and connected it to the battery backup. He blew out a deep breath as he twisted the wires together. An eerie glow engulfed the bathroom. He quickly moved the equipment case aside and dumped what was left of his creation into the case. He opened the bathroom door quietly and made his way out of the room. The infrared light was dim, and he gave his eyes a few moments to adjust. He moved his light close to the door jamb, looking for the sensor. He quickly found it, a small, simple magnetic device just above the deadbolt. He grabbed the light and returned to the bathroom, locating the remains of his invention. He quickly unbundled a wiring harness and took the sticky foil tape back to the door. He placed it over the magnet in the door jamb, pressing on it gently so the foil wouldn't move. 
He looked back at his handiwork. Shit, here goes nothing, he thought. He blew out a sigh of relief as he opened the door and stepped into the corridor. It was dimly lit and he barely cracked the door on the way out. It had been an hour since he turned out the light in his room and he hoped anyone manning the cameras were focused on something else besides the momentary flash of light that occurred when he left the room. Jack walked quietly down the hall, quickly recalling the locations of the two cameras, making probability calculations in his head of how best to stay out of their field of vision. He heard the sound of two guards chatting down a perpendicular hallway. Heart pounding in his throat, he waited for their voices to fade before moving again. Recalling the detailed map of the complex he had made during his first visit, he found the main irrigation room, complete with 12 5,000-gallon cisterns, an assortment of 50 other smaller cisterns for liquid fertilizer, and a few thousand unique plant ID codes noting which pipettes were fed from each feeder pipe. He had envisioned the entire apparatus in his head. However, looking at it in low light was dawning. He looked up. No cameras. Shit. There's no bleach either, he thought. He had assumed that there would be some common cleansers in the area, but there was nothing caustic that could mistakenly make its way into the fertigation system. He double-checked his internal database and couldn't recall anything that looked like a janitorial storeroom. Ah, he'd have to go back to the lab. Jack made it back to the lab with only one close call. He didn't know how many guards there were, but he had counted five so far, all looking like mercenaries instead of average run-a-cops. With a place as big as this, he had to assume that there would be at least five more. He quickly recalled the combination to the lab door. He hadn't paid attention to it before, but he must have seen Gomes input the combination. The numbers flashed in his mental screen and he unlocked it on the first try. He kept the lights off and ran through the mental inventory of chemicals that were on the shelves. There were no windows and the lab was pitch dark, so he used the mental floor plan stored in his mind and counted off the steps. Five steps forward, three steps to the left, and he should be directly in front of the shelf containing several two-gallon containers of peroxide. He quietly reached out for them, probing the darkness with his fingers until he found the handles. He felt each bottle and quickly determined it was what he sought. He was nearly jolted out of his skin when the lab door began to rattle, and he could hear muted voices laughing and shooting the shit. Damn, they're coming in, he thought. He quickly scanned his mental notes. The walk-in refrigerator was close. Ten steps to the left, three to the right, and he should be there. He duck-walked to the refrigerator where he had confronted Gomes, slid in, and quickly closed the door as the lights to the lab went on. He heard the guards on a routine inspection and pressed his back against the door, squatting under the refrigerator window in hopes that they wouldn't see him. After 60 seconds, he heard the guard give the all-clear and start babbling about a date that he had been on. Jack sat in the dark, on the cold refrigerator floor for ten minutes, gathering his courage before grabbing three bottles of peroxide and venturing out again. There were no guards, and he carefully retraced his steps to the fertigation room, moving awkwardly as he attempted stealth while carrying large bottles of peroxide. Once he was safely inside the fertigation room, the confidence in his memory and the schematics he had drawn in his head fell right around his ankles. 
Jack was awed by the sheer scale of the irrigation infrastructure. It was more of a long hallway than an actual room. He estimated it to be 15 feet wide. However, the length was difficult to ascertain in low light. 150 feet long felt about right to him. Having the infected ID tags etched in his mind would be helpful, at least in theory, but the reality of the dawning task ahead was undeniable. Even with the low light, what he could make of the room looked like the plumbing setup of a large cruise ship. His left hand began to shake uncontrollably as he squinted, looking at the intricate plumbing system attached to a vast array of large cisterns containing what he assumed would be everything from water to fertilizer to pesticides and antifungal solutions. Judging by the shadows, there were at least 50 cisterns of varying sizes from small to huge. The largest was 7 feet tall by 7.5 feet in diameter. The whole mess of cisterns and pipes were arranged on both sides of the long, dark, narrow room. He grabbed his hand and reflexively began to breathe deeply, attempting to calm himself and focus on the task at hand. Not an easy thing considering the nature of his task and the complexity of Greenleaf systems. What the hell am I doing? This is crazy. He pushed down that thought. Having the plan IDs was one thing. However, knowing the feeder pipes that they were connected to was simply unknowable. He stood for a moment, letting his eyes adjust. The light emanating from under the main doorway provided an eerie glow in the room, casting tall shadows on the walls. The room gradually became more clear as his eyes adjusted, but as he looked around the mass of piping, he knew he'd have to work by feel, hopefully finding the right PVC pipe and following it to its source. He had no illusions. It's going to take a while, he thought. Jack set about locating the feeder spigots associated with the thin, black, flexible irrigation tubes that he had seen attached to each plant's individual pot in the grow rooms. There had to be at least eight other irrigation rooms like the one he was in, but given the proximity to the employee garden, he was certain that this had to be the right one. Luckily, he located what looked to be the main distribution panel, on a wall practically hidden behind two 2,000-gallon plastic water cisterns. He wedged himself through the cisterns and viewed the back wall, shifting his weight and running his fingers through his hair. The PVC pipe snaked across a 10-by-20-foot section of the wall. 90-degree PVC elbows every 20 feet allowed the pipes to be mounted above each other in a relatively compact space, the horizontal pipes touching each other creating the appearance of a large horizontal radiator. The small feeder tube spigots attached to each long section of pipe were six inches apart from each other. Shit, he thought. There's thousands of these spigots, one per plant just for one grow room alone. He stood and stared at the wall of pipes, realizing there were simply too many. He was able to discern a few plant numbers on the spigots, but they were hard to read in the low light and none had the number sequences that were even close to the plan IDs for the employee garden. Sweat began to bead on his forehead, even though the entire facility was kept at 68 degrees. Of course, he thought, this is the original piping for their cannabis operations. The employee garden came later. Of course they won't be on the original system. The realization calmed him down a bit, 
and he set about looking for a smaller, more recent addition to the fertigation system that would most likely feed the employee garden. He made his way down the back of the wall, walking sideways to fit between the systems in the back of the wall, taking awkward shuffle steps, occasionally snagging his clothing on the valves that protruded from the wall. He felt like someone reading Braille for the first time, trying to picture everything he touched, but none of it making sense. He made it down one side of the long room. With each step, the room became progressively more dark. He found nothing that felt like the employee garden feeder lines. He extricated himself by wedging past two smaller cisterns and crossed the room by feel, hugging the back wall, then continuing his hunt down the opposite long wall. Halfway down, he hit his forearm on a metal protrusion which was unlike the plastic valves he had encountered before. He stopped and felt the object. It was a doorknob. He gently turned the knob, but it was locked. He slowly pulled the knob, checking to see how much play there was between the door frame and the door. It moved, slightly loose in the frame. Shit, I wish Eamon was here, he thought. He'd have this door open in a heartbeat. He thought about what Eamon would have done. Then an idea struck him. This thing feels like a standard bedroom door lock. He felt his front pants pocket and quietly high-fived himself for being a little OCD about carrying his wallet at all times. He reached in his wallet and pulled out a credit card, carefully inserted it between the door and the door frame, then gently slid it upward between the strike plate and the spring-loaded latch. He wiggled the card slightly, causing the latch to depress and unseat itself from the strike plate. The door opened easily when he pulled the knob this time. He found himself in another room that was pitch black. He felt the sides of the wall near the door and found a light switch. Closing the door behind him without shutting it completely, he flipped it on. The bright LEDs caused him to wince and close his eyes reflexively, accustomed now to the darkness. When he opened them, he realized that what he found was what he was looking for. On the wall was a series of pipes and spigots with the same number sequence he had noted in the employee garden. His elation was quickly tempered when he saw the 50-gallon cistern in the corner of the room. A clear plexiglass dome was perched on top with biohazard stickers clearly visible. The realization that he was in close proximity of something potentially toxic brought another tremor to his hand as he backed away from it toward the door. He had left the jugs of peroxide near the main entrance and decided to leave the door cracked slightly so he could use what little light escaped to find his way to the peroxide. He made his way back to the main fertigation room entrance and found what he was looking for. He picked up the peroxide and turned to walk back to the small room when the main lights came on and the door opened. Fuck me, he said, talking out loud to himself. Yeah. Fuck you is right, the guard, Eric said, as he took the butt of his assault rifle and smashed it into Jack's forehead. <laughs>